Who knew? Coach Prime, really good for TV ratings. Should TCU hang a banner or not? Plus, Melissa Trebowasser previews Nichols with Mikey DeLulo, and I answer all your questions. Coming up right now on Frogs Insider. Hello and welcome into the Frogs Insider podcast. Jamie Plunkett here. As always, Melissa Trebowasser will be along shortly as I mentioned. She is previewing Nichols. TCU's upcoming opponent, opponent with Mikey DeLulo, who covers the Colonels for the Homa Courier and Thibodeau Daily Comet over in Thibodeau, Louisiana. We're very thankful that Mikey took the time to be a part of the show this week. As you know by now, this is our midweek preview episode. We will be breaking down TCU against Nichols. We also have a couple other things to get to, though, this week because TCU is catching flack. TCU can't catch a break, really these days and we're going to talk about why that might be we're also going to talk about tv ratings we're going to talk about a lot of different things because you guys asked as usual some really interesting and excellent questions this week i'm also going to tell you a little bit about three games that i'm keeping my eye on that maybe other folks aren't watching um there are some really big games this weekend there are some other games that i think are equally as interesting as some of the big games we're going to talk about all of those before we get to that, though, I do want to shout out our sponsors for the show. As always, big thank you to Hell's Half Acre Sporting Goods and Home Field Apparel. You'll hear more about them later on in the episode, but I just want to mention them both off the top. And as always, like and subscribe. Hit the subscribe button on YouTube. Like the video. Leave a comment underneath. If you're listening to the audio version of this podcast, make sure you're subscribed. Leave us a rating and a review. We have grown exponentially in the last month and a half, last six weeks of episodes, really. Uh, we're very thankful for every single person who's taken the time to listen to even just one episode. Um, and we want to keep growing. We want to keep growing because it's fun. We want to keep growing because TCU fans uh, deserve excellent coverage of their athletics programs. And we think we deliver that here at Frogs Insider. So everything you do to interact with our content online goes a long way to supporting the show and making sure that other frog fans can find it pretty easily. Um, and with all of that, let's just jump right in. TCU against Colorado, 11 a.m., big noon kickoff on Fox last Saturday, drew 7.3 million viewers. It's the second most watched game of the weekend. It's impressive for a couple reasons, and people are going to uh, assess this TV rating as happens frequently with TCU when they're in highly rated games with TCU's opponent. And I don't think that's necessarily unfair. In this case, you have Coach Prime, you have a revamped Colorado team that, that's been the storyline all off offseason. Uh, and by the second half, everybody knew it was going to be a football game as well, uh, as TCU very clearly failed to cover their three-touchdown spread. Um, it was the highest-rated Big 12 game of the week. It was more viewers than any TCU regular season game last year, including the game at Texas, which drew a little over $5 million. Um, and I think that this is a cool thing to talk about even in the midst of a loss, simply because last year you saw TCU pretty consistently around the 3 to $4 million viewer mark. It dipped down a little bit when they played teams like SMU. It obviously bumped up a little bit for teams like Texas and Oklahoma. Kansas State in the Big 12 championship game drew a little over $7 million. In the national championship game in the Fiesta Bowl, I think both of those drew uh, 8 to $10 million viewers as well. 
TCU was a part of a lot of very highly watched, highly viewed football games last year. And in week one, at least, they were a part of another one. It's a bummer, obviously, that it was a loss. Um, but it was objectively a, a very entertaining game, to say the least. And so a lot of people tuned in. It's important that we talk about these things for a couple of different reasons. We just, we just spent an entire offseason, first and foremost, talking about conference realignment, talking about the importance of a team being watchable. If someone's just flipping through channels on their couch and they stumble across a football game, what's going to draw them in to actually stop down and watch that football game? Well, for the last year and a half now, we have some pretty good data that says TCU is a very good watchable football team. And that's not unimportant. So I like to track this stuff. I, I post this stuff on Twitter every week during football season. Y'all really appreciated that last year. I was throwing up the comparisons between Big 12 games and Pac-12 games. Not going to do quite something like that this year, but we're going to find a way to keep it interesting with TV ratings this year. So I wanted to note that off the top because TCU was a part of the second most watched game this weekend in week one. Now, we, I, we don't have numbers for Clemson-Duke yet. I'd be surprised if it reached that much, even though it was on a Monday night. Um, probably pretty close. Um, Texas and Rice would have been the third most watched game in the Big 12. Uh, I put out a tweet. You can go look at it. Um, I did not include Texas and Oklahoma because they aren't going to be in the Big 12 after this year. Um, but uh, an impressive showing from folks who wanted to tune in and, and see TCU and Colorado play in arguably the biggest game of, of the noon slate, um, if not everything until nighttime pretty much for week one of college football. But I really, I, we moved from that into this because there was a video that, that popped up on social media that is getting pretty roundly criticized. Uh, it came from the TCU athletics account and it, it's of something that happened at halftime of the TCU Colorado game because TCU unveiled a college football playoff 2023 plaque essentially of sorts they put up for, for some context here tcu puts up the name of every bowl game they participate in right so for a long time now we've seen on the east side of the stadium all of the names of the bowls that tcu has participated in all the way from the cotton bowl and the peach bowl and the fiesta bowl down to the cheese it bowl the poinsettia bowl right like everything gets recognition in TCU Stadium as kind of a marker of where TCU has come as a program. And so it makes sense that coming off of a year where they went to the college football playoff, won a football game in the college football playoff, but really just made it to the CFP, that they would do something in the stadium to recognize that that happened. It's not... It's not a foreign concept if you've followed TCU, if you've been in their stadium before. Uh, they're very clearly displayed all over the stadium. But for some reason, TCU is catching a ton of flack on social media for making this a thing, for, for, post, for, for celebrating the fact that they made it to the college football playoff. The, and, and just a reminder, this is not a celebration that they won a game in the college football playoff. This is just an acknowledgement that, hey, we made it to the CFP. It's something that only a dozen teams have done since the start of the college football playoff in 2014. Um, and, and 
we're going to get to that in a second. But uh, it's an impressive accomplishment, right? And they're one of seven teams, like I said, to have now won a football game in the college football playoff. But I, I'm going to back up for a second. It's weird when people start to criticize what other people choose to celebrate. I want to start there. The whole concept of making fun of other people for being happy about their accomplishments or the accomplishments of their school or their team or even their like their company, whatever it is, it's odd to me that people want to jump on other folks for, for being happy. Um, it, it doesn't feel like it takes a lot of effort to just let someone be happy. It doesn't cost you anything to just let people celebrate what they want to celebrate, but a byproduct of social media that I hate, and I, I don't use that word lightly, I hate it, is that it is so wildly popular to dunk on other people for clicks and for likes. And I've fallen into that trap a little bit uh, as well, and I try to avoid it mo- for the most part these days. Um, it just doesn't make sense to me to ruin what someone else's trying to celebrate because they think that they've accomplished something, right? Like, for example, Ole Miss has a banner hanging in their practice facility that recognizes the 2014 Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. It's got the score on it and everything. If you're a TCU fan, you remember the TCU won that game 42-3. to Ole Miss wanted to recognize the fact that they made a New Year's Six Bowl, that they played in the Peach Bowl, and they put the score on there. That's an accomplishment to make the Peach Bowl. To be a part of the original New Year's Six slate of games was a big accomplishment for Ole Miss. That was a very good Ole Miss football team. I have no problem with them celebrating and recognizing the accomplishment of making it to that game. Texas has a banner hanging in their basketball stadium that celebrates NIT appearances. Not the biggest tournament in college basketball. Not even a celebration of them winning the second biggest tournament in college basketball. Just a a recognition of, hey, these years, our team made it to the NIT. That's great. That's an accomplishment that those kids uh, on those teams really enjoyed. I'm sure they did. I know that because I've watched TCU teams make the NIT and really enjoy that accomplishment. I've watched TCU teams make the NCAA tournament and get eliminated in the second round and, and, and recognize that as a big accomplishment for the program. So I have no problem with schools choosing what to celebrate you know it's all subjective have fun celebrate these student athletes celebrate what they've accomplished uh that's all fine with me um but beyond just this this notion of wanting to dunk on people for celebrating things that you don't think are celebration worthy it's really popular just to dunk on tcu right now that's a byproduct of the national championship right i mean getting killed the way they did 65 to 7 is going to bring a lot of criticism and a lot of jokes from pro people who are fans of programs that are around yours or were around programs that maybe thought they should have been in over you Bama fans for instance um it, it comes with the territory of getting your ass kicked in the national championship it's just what it is losing to Colorado in what I just talked about was 7.3 million people plus a stadium record of over 53,000 people in Fort Worth that day, it's going to bring some criticism as well. So it just feels like it's really popular to dunk on TCU right now. And this apparently was low hanging fruit to jump on TCU fans about. I still don't get it. 
But the reality is this, and I've said this already. TCU is still just one of seven teams to have made the college football playoff and win a game since 2014. One of the biggest rebuttals I hear to that is, oh, well, it's only been around since 2014. Then why hasn't your team done it yet? Why hasn't your team done it yet? If it's only been around since 2014, it's not that big of an accomplishment. Why hasn't your team done it yet? That's my question. It's okay to say, right? Like TCU is the only team from the state of Texas to have made the college football playoff. They're the only team from the state of Texas to have won a college football playoff game. They're the only team from the Big 12 to have won a college football playoff game. That's an accomplishment that's worth recognizing because TCU says it's an accomplishment worth recognizing. It doesn't matter what outside people think. It's okay that it means something to TCU. It's okay that it means something to TCU fans. And it's okay that they want to celebrate that milestone for their program. All of that's okay. Shout out to the Texas Tech fans, to the Baylor fans, and to the Clemson fans who have been defending TCU in the comments. Uh, That's really cool because especially those first two programs, Tech and Baylor, those fan bases and TCU's fan base, they're like oil and water. They don't get along a ton. But it's interesting to see that two in-state programs that are defending TCU are are two of their, frankly, biggest rivals at this point in in each program's history. Um, Clemson fans do the same thing that TCU did this year, and a lot of them were pointing that out on on Twitter specifically, saying that they have the years of all the times they made the college football playoff, not just the couple times they won a national championship. So they're celebrating all of those. Um, And it's important to recognize, too, that the bulk of those fan bases who are being critical of TCU are fans of teams that have not made the college football playoffs. And so to those fans, it, it, you know, a lot of folks from Utah, a lot of folks from Texas, uh, Oklahoma fans were kind of split either way. Um, but to those fans who follow teams that haven't made the college football playoff yet, it's important, I think, for me to note in this moment that at least for right now, your stadiums also display the number of times that you've made the college football playoff. Right, You don't have anything to put up there yet because you haven't reached that milestone. You haven't done that yet. And so maybe when you do get there, and for a couple of those programs, Texas and Utah, it could be as early as this year. When you do get there, maybe you'll feel differently. I don't know. We'll have to just wait and see. And you'll have to make it. But we're going to move on because that's enough of that nonsense. Uh, And we're going to hear a little bit from Melissa Trebowasser, my wonderful co-host, as she sat down earlier this week to preview TCU's upcoming opponent, the FCS program, Nichols, with Mikey DeLulo. This is their conversation. Let's jump into it right now. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the midweek edition of the Frogs Insider Podcast. I am Melissa Trebowasser, pleased to be joined um, for another TCU Game Week preview. Um, This week, we are fortunate to have Mikey DeLulo from the, okay, I'm going to get this right. The Homa Courier and Thibodeau Daily Comment. Uh, Mikey, I know I nailed it, thumbs up. Uh, Mikey covers um, both Nichols um, College Athletics as well as high school sports in the area. Um, Mikey is also a wonderfully patient person because I um, was 12 minutes late to this interview because I am utter and absolute disaster as per usual. So, Mikey, I appreciate you taking some time and being flexible with us today. Oh, I'm I'm happy to be here. And uh, like I told you before we started, you're still better than a... half the coaches I've had in my career. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's, we're just, we're surviving. We're in week two of the football season. We're both coming off the losses. So 
uh, we are we are just kind of surviving and not thriving at this moment. Um, Speaking of uh, coming off losses, uh, Nichols opened their season against Sacramento State. Um, I happen to live in Sacramento, so I'm I'm very familiar with uh, with the Stingers, um, the Hornets of of Sac State. A pretty good little powerhouse um, and a tough matchup for for really any FCS program. What is it about that opening game that you saw from Nichols that either you know gave you concern or gave you hope for the season ahead? Well, for me, I thought I really didn't know what to expect going in because obviously, you know, Sac State has that reputation. They're a really good FCS team. They have been for a few years. But this is their first season with a new coach. Troy Taylor left, uh, took the Stanford job. Andy Thompson, I thought, you know, kind of an open book pretty much. Who knows what's going to happen? And, well, we saw what happened. Nichols. Honestly, performed better than I expected. Did not really anticipate a win, even with the new coach. Uh, but still, you know, it's always tough to lose at home. But then again, this is a Nichols team coming off of a 3-8 and eight season. So, again, not sure how high the expectations really were. You know, a lot of, um, you know, we, we've seen this a lot. TCU saw this with Colorado. We saw it with uh, with Texas State and DJ Kinney. Like, there, there are a lot of teams that had low expectations or poor seasons a year ago went to the transfer portal and kind of remade their roster on the fly and completely transformed the just kind of the, the hopes and dreams of, of their program. When you look at Nichols roster, how much of this uh, is, it, is it comprised of guys coming back versus how many new faces are on the team this year? Well, you know, first and foremost, Nichols does have a, a great coach in Tim Rebo and uh, he is essentially Nichols football. So you know, I, I've been here. Um, this is my first football season helping out with Nichols coverage. And, well, they have had historically a good team. Uh, not a lot of transfers. There is one uh, from TCU, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quincy Brown, of course, uh, from Louisiana transfer here. Not the only FBS transfer. Uh, Kershawn Fisher, uh, linebacker, he transferred in from Louisiana Tech, as did a uh, defensive back. Chan- um, I want to get this name right. Chancellor Hitchens and uh, running back Ty Smith-Lindsay, among others. There's, there's more than just that. But this is definitely a, a team primarily built on that high school recruiting and accented by the by the transfer portal. You know, it's not – no disrespect to Dabo Sweeney, but it's not quite Clemson where they just never accept transfers. But it, of course, it is still majority 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 high school commits, and I do think that's something that a lot of coaches, uh, especially someone like Tim Rebo, who's been here for so long, that's what they prefer to have. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Quincy Brown. Of course, I was I was going to bring up Sticks in this conversation because CCU fans are well familiar with him. Um, you know, he was a guy that that you know had some kind of like reclassifying something. It took him a while to kind of find his his first collegiate home, but he was. Uh, a guy with a ton of talent that if maybe he hadn't kind of been coming up through COVID would have had um, a lot more big time offers, but was definitely on the radar of some big time programs. Never really panned out at TCU, had some injuries, had some other issues um, and didn't quite make it. Uh, you know, his dad made a big show on the message boards about where he was going to end up. Um, and so I think TCU fans were a little bit surprised to see him go to the FCS level, um, but he has a chance to be an impact player. I mean, he's, he's a physically gifted guy with great speed and size. Uh, what do you think his role, how does he look in game one? And what do you think his role on the offense is going to be this season? Well, he didn't really make that big of an impact in game one. Although, like we mentioned earlier, it was against a very good Sac State team. He only caught three passes, I think uh, about 
20 to 25 yards. I don't know off the top of my head. But like you mentioned, he's a very, very talented athlete, especially his size, you know, six foot three or four, uh, 205, I think, to maybe 210 pounds. And with that speed, obviously, you know, anyone coming from the FBS level, most of the time, you it's really apparent at the FCS level. Not, not that these guys are bad, of course. They're really good. I think uh, Deion Sanders showed us all how good FCS mm-hmm. transfers can really be last week. But um, – yeah, he did not really get into many uh, many plays. Didn't really show up in the box score much uh, last Thursday. But I wouldn't be surprised if he took over a bigger role, especially now with this kind of being a sort of homecoming for him, going up against his old school. Yeah, and then what else did you kind of notice? Um, you mentioned a couple of the the guys, but what else have you noticed on the offensive side of the ball is going to be something that might be able to give PCU trouble or where you're seeing kind of the the talent bear out for Nichols and the, just through one game of the season in fall camp? Well, one guy that's really stuck out to me is uh, the wide receiver uh, out of New Orleans. So he's another local kid. Uh, Terry Matthews, a bit of a bit on the smaller side, only five foot nine hundred and sixty pounds, but he had a really really good week one game. He he broke out, I think, uh, in that week one game. He showed some flashes before, but he had three catches for ninety six yards wow. and uh, including uh, an eighty four yard touchdown. That was the uh, last scoring play of the game. And uh, again, it's not like he's he's had bad. He was bad previously. He he did have uh, 245 receiving yards a season ago, and you know he also uh, stars in the kickoff return game. He's a lot of speed, and uh, I, I'm not a big fan of of these player comparisons. But at his size, he reminds me a lot of kind of like a a mini Deshaun Jackson with his size mm-hmm. and his speed, because he's got that kind of ability where he could just break a game open if he gets the ball in his hands. Well, I think, you know, one thing we saw in week one for TCU is that they did a pretty good job against the run, but they struggled against the pass and they struggled a ton against speed, um, you know, with, with rider receivers getting in the secondary um, missed tackles. I think TCU, they had 18 official missed tackles. As far as I could tell, it was 107. Um, and so there's certainly opportunity for, for a good athlete to, to create some opportunities on the offensive side of the ball and, and cause some problems for the TCU defense um, unquestionably. Uh, we turn it over to the other side of the ball. You know, I think, what was it, 38 points they gave up to Sac State. So yep. certainly some struggles defensively. But again, you mentioned this is, even though there's a new coaching staff, there's a lot of guys returning on the Sac State roster. And so not a surprise that the offense had some success. Is the Nichols defense going to be able to do anything to give TCU trouble? Or do you think TCU's talent, the skill position offensively, they they scored 42 points in their opener, um, going to enable the Horned Fox to kind of run away with this one? Well, anytime an FCS team takes on an FBS team, it's always going to be difficult. Um, and I do think that that Nichols probably has a better defense than what we saw last week. Uh, I do know that Caden Bennett did give him uh, an awful lot of trouble, uh, especially the mobile quarterback that uh, I don't believe TCU has unless they just change their starter. Um, yeah, I mean, Ch- Chandler can run. He is an athlete, but they're so worried about his injury history that, that he's not going to be a guy that's going to run it 10, 12 times a game for sure. Yeah, that's 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 what I was thinking. But uh, like I said earlier, it just comes down to, you know, FBS versus FCS. The FBS guys, in this case, in TCU, they're just bigger, they're faster, and uh, it's always tough for an FCS team to win uh, against an FBS opponent. 
So, you know, putting aside, we'll we'll get to a prediction a little bit later here, but if if TC fans are watching and you want to see some special players, you've already mentioned a couple of those guys. Is there anybody on the offensive or defensive side of the ball that you think is going to be, I mean, there's no Travis Hunters out here, right? But still, it's sometimes fun to watch a a guy have success against a higher level of competition. Uh, Is there anybody that you'll be, you'll, you think could have a chance to have a big game or that might be just an entertaining watch or someone that, that shows a lot of emotion or a lot of fire on the field? Well, there's one guy uh, I do think that TCU fans should definitely be on the lookout for, and that's the running back, Colin Guggenheim. He uh, rushed for only 74 yards, and that's not nothing, but still not what we're used to seeing from him. He is one of the best running backs in program history, and TCU did struggle at times on defense last week. He is a the program record holder for rushing yards per game in a single season, um, he's the most game, most uh, rushing yards in a game in the history of the Southland Conference and is, uh, I believe, now inside the top 10, although I, I could be wrong on that, I have to look it up, inside the top 10 in program history in rushing yards. So he's definitely someone that I would definitely keep my eye on if I was a TCU fan. Is there any scenario where you see Nichols able to upset the Horn Frogs in Fort Worth? Uh, the bus breaks down on the way to the stadium. Um, <laughs> For TCU, they just they just don't I, show up. Yeah. It's it, it's it's always very very tough, and I, you know never say never anything can happen. All that, but at the same time, well, TCU has lost a lot from last season's team that went all the way to the national title game, won the Big Twelve. But this is still FBS versus FCS. You know, we see that all the time, and in college football. There's a reason why these upsets are all remembered years, sometimes decades later is because they barely ever happen. So I don't want to say never, I don't want to say never, but I would be very, very surprised if Nichols is able to even make a game out of it, let alone win. Now, you know, assuming there's not going to be an upset here, I'm going to make you still put a score prediction to paper. But before I do, what is kind of your expectation? Like you said, uh, coming off of a, of a losing season a, a year ago, but you've got an all-time great running back. Um, you know, you've got some wide receivers that can do some special things, and you've got, you know, the greatest coach in program history. What um, What are your expectations for Nichols? Can they have a bounce-back season? Is, is this something where you think that, that they can perform at a high level um, the rest of the way after the TCU game? Well, for Nichols, uh, the bad news is that they start this season with their three most difficult games. Uh, obviously, last week against Sac State, this week against TCU. Next week is off, but the week after that, they stay in the FBS and they play Tulane. Mm-hmm. And after that, though, you know, I don't expect them to make the playoffs looking against teams you know, like Houston Baptist, Northwestern State, you know, especially something like Incarnate Word, which is late November. But I do expect them to improve overall. This is not going to be a team that, that I hate to say, it kind of laid down and died like last year's 3-18. and 18. This is going to be an improved team. I don't think a playoff team, but it will definitely be an improved one. And then final question, um, what is your score prediction for this game? Can they keep it close? Can, can this be an entertaining game in the first half, or do you think the Horn Frogs are just going to be too much for, for the FCS opponent? Well, I wouldn't be surprised if Nichols wins the toss, elects to receive, and takes all the way down for a score. But that's pretty much going to be it. Um, 
I, I wouldn't be surprised as well to see a couple of late scores from Nichols to make it a bit more respectable, but my official score prediction, I'm sorry, Nichols fans, I got to say it, TCU 49, Nichols 21. Hey, I think I think Nichols puts up 21. That's not a bad showing. This TC defense certainly didn't put up much of a fight last week, so no reason to think that, that the Colonels can't get in the end zone a couple of times on Saturday night. Uh, Mike, you tell people where they can find your work and where to follow you on social media. So uh, you can follow me on Twitter or X or whatever it's called now, uh, at Mikey DeLulo. That's at M-I-K-E-Y-D-I-L-U-L-L-O. That's also my uh, my handle on Instagram, so you can follow me there too. And you can check out my uh, my work for the Homa Courier and Thibodeau Daily Comet at uh, homatoday.com, H-O-U-M-A, today, T-O. D-A-Y.com. Uh, I'm pretty much a one-man sports department, so if you're reading sports in that newspaper, it's almost certainly from me. Which, hey, could be could be a really, really good thing, or if you start making uh, the it, fans it, mad by predicting these uh, blowouts, could be a bad thing. Too. Yeah, it can be a blessing <laughs> and a curse. I'll put it that way. Well, Mike, we really appreciate your time helping us preview uh, Saturday night's matchup. Again, that is uh, Nichols traveling to Fort Worth to play TCU MG Car Stadium at 7 p.m. Um, it should be a great environment under the lights. Um, maybe maybe we get an entertaining first quarter, but I think TCU fans are hoping for a little bit less stress than they had a week ago. Yeah, uh, and I think Nichols fans are just hoping to get out without many injuries. Hey, catch catch that paycheck, keep that program rolling. That's all that matters. Yep. yep. All right, thanks, Mikey. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks again to Mikey for his time. I know that it's always busy during football season, and so anybody that takes the time to talk to us about TCU and, and their team and, and the upcoming game. I am very thankful for them. And, and Melissa does a great job with those previews too. So super thankful that she blocks out time in her busy week. Cause we all know she's a football coach now too. And it's football season for her in a couple different ways uh, for sitting down and, and having that conversation, uh, an excellent preview, I think of, of what TCU and Nichols fans can expect this Saturday, 7 PM central time ESPN plus at the Carter frogs and colonels getting after it. Little football as the frogs try to get to one and one on the season. Uh, I want to take a moment right now, though, and let you know a little bit about some of our show sponsors. First and foremost, Hell's Half Acre. Hell's Half Acre is a wonderful brand. It's created by a TCU graduate who is an excellent human being, and all of the proceeds of their uh, stuff, all of their products, goes to student athletes. They go to supporting student athletes in a variety of different ways. Um, and the reality is too, is that this is some of the best game day apparel you're going to find anywhere from the football polo that they dropped a couple weeks ago. They've got a baseball polo that you're going to want for baseball season as well. The hats, the koozies, the t-shirts for when you're hanging out at the house, they've got such a wide array of TCU, um, TCU stuff that, that it's, it's hard for me at least to not just want to buy all of it. Um, they do a great job. The sizing is awesome on all of this stuff as a guy who's got a couple of their shirts at this point too. So make sure that you check out hellshalfacresg.com for all of the Hell's Half Acre sporting goods stuff. And also, don't forget, go and get some Hell's Half Lager from a local retailer here in Fort Worth. uh, And 10% of all of that goes to TCU's Flying Flying Tea Club, the, the NIL initiative with uh tcu so supporting student athletes in a lot of different ways hell's half acre sporting uh, sporting goods uh, has it going on uh, and then obviously home field apparel is right up there as well they're one of my favorite brands of all time 
Uh, they have some of the most comfortable shirts and hoodies I've ever worn. I'm not wearing one right now, which is a little out of character for me. I just threw this shirt on when I got home from work and hit record. Uh, didn't really think through what I was wearing. Um, but uh, you, you all know I love my Big Sky hoodie. I've got an Arkansas hoodie. I've got multiple TCU hoodies as well. Probably going to add one or two more to the collection this fall, let's be honest. Um, Every single one of them is incredibly comfortable, and you can join the Homefield Apparel Club by going to homefieldapparel.com and using the code FROGSIN15, that's FROGSIN15, for 15% off of your first purchase and 10% off of all subsequent purchases. That is a reusable code, which is not so uh, popular or common these days. So shout out to Homefield Apparel for hooking up frog fans with a code that they can use more than once again that's homefieldapparel.com frogs and 15 is the code to get you ready to be as comfortable as you have ever been all right now that we've done the hashtag ad gotten that out of the way i want to talk a little bit about three games that i'm watching this week we've got a lot of big games for week two on the slate texas and alabama is a no-brainer right the whole country is going to be watching that one a lot of folks are going to be really interested to see how Texas and Texas's offensive line holds up against Alabama's defensive front because there were some shaky moments against Rice that Texas has to sort out uh, before this game on Saturday, or it could be a pretty long day for the UT offense. Uh, Texas Tech and Oregon is another one that a lot of folks are going to be watching. That's not one of my three on my list. I will be like watching it. I'm not saying that these are the only three games I'm watching. These are three games that I'm going to watch that maybe not a lot of other folks are going to watch. Texas Tech and Oregon is on the, a lot of folks are going to watch that game. In spite of Texas, or maybe because Texas Tech lost at Wyoming in week one, right? This is like a, a really weird wounded dog trying to fight back. Plus, it's a night game in Lubbock for one of the biggest non-conference night games that I can remember Texas Tech hosting. Um, Oregon just put up, what, 81 points on Portland State last week. Are they going to be able to do that against a Power 5 defense that at times looked pretty good against Wyoming and other times looked like maybe Texas Tech underestimated Wyoming a little bit? Sounds familiar to TCU fans because that's kind of what happened against Colorado this week as well. Um, I'm on the record already as saying that Texas Tech will win this football game. I made that prediction before the season started. Um, I'm going to stick with it. There are a lot of things about that Wyoming loss that are interesting to me. Uh, I talked a little bit about maybe Tech didn't take Wyoming as seriously as they should have. I talked a little bit about um, the the defense showing signs of life at times. I also wonder if, if Texas Tech wasn't already thinking about Oregon in week two when they traveled up to Laramie for that football game. Uh, Wyoming's a weird place to play as well. It's a higher elevation than Boulder. It's a higher elevation than Denver, right? So there's just some challenges to that for teams that aren't acclimated. Um, I think this is going to be a, a fun football game to watch when, when Oregon heads down to Lubbock this week. And then the third no-brainer that everybody's going to be watching, Baylor and Utah. Um, things could be heading very south for Baylor very quickly this season. This is a team that looked bad defensively against Texas State. G.J. Kinney did a lot of really good things to get Texas State's offense ready for that game against Baylor. And on the opposite side, Baylor has a defensive coordinator who that was his first experience calling defensive plays since he coached a powder puff team as a junior in high school. 
that's a choice that Dave Aranda has made and now a choice that Dave Aranda has to live with. We'll see for how long. But one thing that I do know about that football game is that Utah will not have any conflicting feelings about continuing Baylor down the path that they seem that they are on. Utah is going to step on their neck and have no qualms with that. But a lot of folks are going to be watching that happen. Here are the three games, though, that I am interested in this week outside of TCU Nichols and the games that I just mentioned. I'm very interested in Oklahoma State, Arizona State. A preview of a future Big 12 conference game. The Cowboys, they're coming off of a game where they intentionally played three different quarterbacks in week one. They broke the game up into thirds. It's already broken up into quarters, but they chose to break it up into thirds and play all of their quarterbacks in equal amount, roughly equal amount of time. Um, that was a choice that they made because they still don't have a QB1 officially. And on the other side of this matchup, Arizona State started a true freshman that TCU fans are familiar with, Jaden Rashada. He was down to TCU in Arizona State after he decommitted and got out of his letter of intent at Florida. Um, ended up at his father's alma mater, Arizona State. Um, he looked good at times. He looked like a true freshman at times. And they hung on to barely beat Southern Utah 24-21. to 21. I am on the record as having... Um, the under on Oklahoma State's win total this year. I got criticized for that on Twitter. Uh, a lot of you think I'm foolish because Oklahoma State has a, re- a relatively light schedule. They only play one team from the state of Texas in conference this year, and it's Houston. Um, I'm sticking with the under. Six and a half. I just, I just don't see them getting to the seven wins this year. I just don't see it. I think this is, ends up being a loss for Oklahoma State. We'll see how wrong I am come late, late, late Saturday night. I don't think this one kicks off until about 9.30 Central. Game two that I'm absolutely going to watch. You know I'm watching Colorado-Nebraska. I want to see Colorado's team speed against that Big Ten defense. I want to see how much Nebraska runs the football, does exactly what TCU probably should have done more of in that game, and just assert themselves on the ground against a Colorado defense that I still believe at this very moment is not very good. They had a couple of good moments against uh, TCU. Travis Hunter is undoubtedly a freak at cornerback, but you know how you avoid issues with their cornerback and cornerbacks and safeties? You run the football. And Nebraska is set up beautifully to run the football against this Colorado defense. I think they're going to try and shorten this game. I think they're going to try and control the ball. And I think that that will keep this pretty close. Um, I would not be surprised if Colorado won. I would not be surprised if Nebraska upset Colorado because that game is completely flipped as far as the line is concerned. Um, but I want to see if Colorado can reproduce some of the success they had against TCU and if Nebraska can be successful in the ground and shorten things out. Um, <clears throat> very excited about that game. And for this third game, there were a couple of options. I could have gone with Texas a and Miami. Um, but I ultimately, I think Texas A&M kind of runs, uh, runs away with that game. I don't think it's going to be terribly interesting. Uh, Iowa, Iowa State is hilarious for a couple of reasons this year, especially when you think about the fact that a, a certain former president decided to show up to this football game. So they've got a lot of gambling things that have been going on in the offseason. They've lost a lot of players. Brian Ferentz has a scoring and win total uh, milestone that he has to hit or he's fired at the end of the year. Matt Campbell's window to maybe get another job is closing pretty quickly at this point. 
and now you have uh, a, a pretty polarizing political figure that's going to make an appearance at this football game as well. That was another option that I, I ended up passing on. Um, the third game that I'm going to watch this week is actually a good tribute to my friend Brian Estridge, the voice of the Frogs. You all know him. He's a great guy. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be watching North Carolina App State this weekend. I'm very interested in this storyline about South uh, about excuse me about North Carolina's defensive line because South Carolina made them look like world beaters in week one. Is that actually the case? I'm not sure. I'm not sold on that yet. We only have what one data point to work with on that so far. Um, I'm very interested to see how App State handles North Carolina's defense. I think App State might be better than South Carolina this year. That's just me. Um, and and I want to see if the Tar Heels can handle can handle what uh, the Mountaineers are going to bring their direction. So uh, I want to see. I'm I'm interested to see how for real North Carolina's defense is. I think App State gives them a pretty good test of that this this year or this this week in week two. So those are the three games: Oklahoma State, Arizona State, Colorado, Nebraska, and UNC App State. Those are the three games that I am watching this weekend. All right. Mailbag time. You guys dropped some awesome questions on the board. You also dropped some awesome questions on Twitter. I'm not specifying where these questions came from, but just listen for your handle on the board or your, or your Twitter name, and, and we're just going to kind of run. We've got some really good questions to get to, so let's not waste any time here. Frogs of War 14. What's going on with Colton Deary that he's not only not a starter, but he's not even listed at center on the depth chart after getting most of the first team reps there during fall camp? This one, I think, is a pretty easy question to answer, actually, because I think it has more to do with what the coaching staff thinks of John Lands and the expectations they have for him versus anything that, that Deary did right or wrong in fall camp. Because if you think back to the spring, Lands was taking all of those first team snaps at center. Deary wasn't on campus yet. Willis Patrick was still working out mostly at guard. Um, and they had Ezra Dotson Oteade, uh, sorry, Ezra Dotson Oyetade as the backup center at that point, And he's still listed second on the depth chart. All of that just generally kind of makes sense to me. Um, the only reason that Lance didn't take most of the first team center snaps in the fall was because he was dealing with an injury. And so all of that to say, Lance has always kind of been the expected starter for this team. Whether you like that decision or not is another thing altogether. <clears throat> um, and as for Deary's place on the depth chart, he is that backup guard to Willis Patrick right now. He and Patrick and Datsun Oyetade all took snaps at center this fall. Um, <clears throat> and I, I think what you can say as far as the depth chart is concerned is that that tells us how that competition shook out to be John Lance's backup. Um, I think that uh, another thing to remember is that um, – Deary is also just a sophomore. He started 10 games for Maryland last year as a freshman and got some good experience, but John Lands and Willis Patrick are far more experienced offensive linemen than Colton Deary is at this point. I see no problems with where he is on the depth chart. I also wouldn't be shocked if we saw him get more snaps as the season progresses, depending on how other things go. Um, but I'll be honest with you, there were a couple moments where the offensive line lapsed on Saturday, but overall I thought it was a decent first start for that unit of five in that order. Um, we'll see how they progress as the season rolls along because that's not going to be 
even in the top half of the best defensive fronts that they have on their schedule. So uh, they got a lot of work to do. I think Colton Deary is a good backup for now. We'll see how things play off uh, as the season kind of moves along. Go frogs, go frog yourself with a would you rather? Would you rather continue to play Perry, Bradford, and Clark at safety, or play the young safeties that Gillespie recruited for his system and let them get game reps before the meet of the conference schedule? I think, I think you roll with the experience um, at this position. I think that those guys are good safeties who all fit the mold that Sonny Dykes talked about after after the Colorado game. I mean, Sonny was very clear that he, he, he said, we did not take this team seriously. We did not think that this was a team that we had to worry about, and that bit them in the ass. And I think that that was a wake-up call for these safeties, especially when you consider the fact that they gave up 510 passing yards. Um, and I also think that you're playing a team in Nichols this week where you have the opportunity to get some of these young guys some playing time. I don't think you sacrifice making sure that the guys who are your number one guys get the reps that they need in a live game to fix some of the issues that they were having it's just to get young guys playing time. But I think in a game like Nichols, you're going to have the opportunity to do both. Raw Frog, <clears throat> did you see Joe Gillespie make any adjustments to try and stop Colorado? I pointed this out on the recap podcast, so I'm not going to hit on it too much here, but I didn't see as many second half adjustments as I expected to see. I will say that. And that is mostly in the form of doing what you needed to do to get pressure on Shadur Sanders and bringing that, that secondary, the corners and the safeties closer to the line of scrimmage because you knew what Colorado wanted to do on offense, which is quick passes, short passes, move the ball down the field, get tempo. Um, and, and it didn't seem like there were enough adjustments after halftime. I will say that. Ralph Rog also asks, why did we continue to test their best defensive back, which is Travis Hunter? Um, because most of the time in football, you've got good on good out there. And if you want to get the ball to your best wide receivers, they're normally going to be covered by the best cornerback or the best safety or whatever it might be. And there was a very clear intent from Kendall Bryles in this offense to try and get the ball in the hands of some playmakers who on most of the given plays were covered by Travis Hunter. This is how that works. Why didn't we double team Travis Hunter? It's another good question. Um, At some point you got to look around and say, he's not the only one killing you. And he wasn't the only one killing them. Colorado had four players with over a hundred yards receiving on the day. It's hard to pick somebody to double when you're getting killed from everywhere. Um, That's that's kind of my short answer to that. Let's see. Ludacliff. What's up, brother? Uh, how many can I put you down for with a picture of whitey tidies that have Chandler Morris's face on them and QB1 written all over them? Uh, like man, I told you that I'm I'm a backup quarterback merch guy. You gotta you gotta give me some backup quarterback merch. I'm not I'm not here for third string. I'm also not here for whitey tidies with a. Uh, 22 year olds face on them so that's kind of how we're rolling there just some some normal backup quarterback merch please and then he asks which would you rather experience this season a natty appearance in basketball or baseball and why i loved the debate that i saw happening on this topic on the board earlier today um 
and I understand everyone who said basketball because of the size of the sport and popularity and all of the other kind of things that go in with that. And I would love to see TCU basketball play for a national championship. But if you've known me for a long time, you know that baseball is my the sport that I love the most. And that's not just TCU baseball or in, in the TCU world. That is just baseball on the whole. I love baseball. It is my favorite sport. It was the sport I grew up playing. Um, and there is nothing that I would love more than to see TCU baseball play for a national championship. They have been so damn close a good number of times at this point that it feels like it's only a matter of time until they break through and get one. Um, we'll see. We'll see how quickly that happens. I would love to see TCU baseball compete for uh, to get into that final series and just have a shot at a national championship. I think that would be awesome. H-Town Frog 22. What's more important to see during the FCS game this week? The starters getting tons of reps, looking very clean and running up the score, or the backups getting in for two-ish quarters for mop-up duty? This, uh, I kind of got to this a little bit uh, a couple minutes ago. Um, I think that they can do both if they look clean in the first half and start running up that score, right? That's the caveat. If you look clean and you run up the score in the first half with your starters – and you get enough of those reps to feel comfortable, then yeah, you throw those backups in there, get them some, get them some mop-up duty, get them some experience. Don't sacrifice the first point just to make sure you get the second point done. Because ultimately, yes, it's important to have depth, but it's more important for your starters to have the experience needed that late in the season they're not going to panic or make decisions in the moment based on adrenaline they're going to stay level-headed, and they're going to make the right decision based on what they know to do in the moment. Um, it, it, this is assuming we win big. If we look sloppy, I may start to panic. Well, you, you will not be the only one if TCU looks sloppy against Nickel State that begins to panic. Hyperfrog asks, Judge O'Arrell went from uncoverable in practice to non-existent in the game. What gives? Was that because our defense wasn't covering anyone in practice? Look, I got... I. I I fell into I fell into the hype like uh, Jeremy Clark did, like Melissa did, like so many people who have been covering TCU did. That we th- we saw the good on good that was happening in fall camp, and we legitimately thought that this offense was making a lot of progress against a very good secondary. I still think that it's a good secondary. They didn't have a good week at all. There was. There, there were very few to no good takeaways from that performance against Colorado. I think that they can rebound and, and be fine this season. I also think that, um, <clears throat> you know, and I asked Sonny about this in his mid, midweek press conference. It's hard to get so many guys enough snaps for them to be impactful, especially when you're talking about a position like wide receiver where getting the ball in your hands is dictated by a variety of scenarios that are out of your control. Um, First of all, who are you being covered by? What's the play call? What's the situation? You know, is the quarterback going to see you when you're open, right? Like all of these different things that go into getting the ball in a specific wide receiver's hand. Um, That's why I think it's important at some point for there to be a hierarchy in that wide receiver room where certain guys are going to be on the field more 
because they are more consistent playmakers. Um, I think Jojo Earl has the potential to be one of those more consistent playmakers. Um, but you've got to you've got to establish yourself in practice in some ways as being one of those dudes. I don't know that any wide receiver did that in fall camp. Not just JoJo. I don't think any wide receiver did that in fall camp. It'll be really interesting to see in week two if we start to see more of that hierarchy coming into shape. Jack Frog, twenty twelve. Is the defense as bad as they looked, or do you think there's opportunity for corrections and tweaks to schemes and personnel groupings? Definitely the latter. Um, this it was a bad day, and you can chalk it up to a bad day. They've had a couple bad days in a row now as far as games are concerned, right? It, we talked about the national championship. I'm not going to rehash the Colorado game much more. Um, but what we do know is that there is legitimate talent on that side of the football. Josh Newton is probably 10 months away from being a first or second round draft pick in the NFL. That's uh, unless there's something ridiculous that happens. Josh Newton is going to be one of the first corners off the board in the NFL draft next year. There are a lot of, a lot of NFL scouts who spent a lot of this fall camp looking at other guys in the secondary too. Some of the other corners, some of the safeties, they don't do that. And they don't do that consistently if they don't believe that there's talent there. I think that there's talent here and I think that they will get better over time. I think from a coaching standpoint, we also have to realize that there are not necessarily the guys on this defense this year that are capable of just bailing you out on any given play. D winners was a guy who could bail you out on any given play. Dylan Horton was a guy who late in the season bailed TCU out out on multiple plays, especially in the Fiesta Bowl. They don't seem to have that guy right now. Um, It's hard to do that from the cornerback spot is kind of what I'm getting at here. Now, that doesn't mean that they won't ever get that guy. That doesn't mean that they won't be able to tweak some things and make some adjustments to account for not having that guy. Um, but I think they learned a lot about who they were right now against Colorado. And I think that that's only going to help them moving forward as far as the decisions that they make. Uncle Mike, what adjustments do you think JG will make going forward? Is he he the type of coordinator that can modify his system or is he pretty much going to die on that hill and keep doing the same thing? I think if you look at Gillespie's track record from Tulsa, uh, he wasn't a three, three, five guy when he got there. They were running a completely different defense when he started on that staff as the linebackers coach. And over the course of his years at Tulsa, he started to blend and mix in schemes and ultimately eventually got to the point where he was running what we kind of know as the 3-3-5, but really is a, a pretty flexible defense in a lot of different ways. And there is no way that he will just sit there after this performance and say, well, we've just got to go do the same thing and hope that it works this time. That's not the kind of guy he is. I I can also promise you that he holds himself to a much higher standard than any of you do. Um, You know, I I had to sit, I I had an opportunity to sit down with him right the first month that he was on campus last January It's two Januaries ago now. And I asked him to his face one-on-one, do you feel any extra pressure knowing that the previous defensive coordinator and head coach here had 
you know, such an elite standard for how defense was supposed to be played at TCU. And he, he, he didn't miss a beat when he told me. I, I put more pressure on myself than anybody else. And I hold myself to a standard that nobody else holds me to. I have no, I have no um, worries or concerns that Joe Gillespie is going to do what he thinks is best for this defense moving forward. Um, and I have no, I have no worries that he's going to stick with the quote unquote same thing to see if he gets a different result. I think he's going to do what he needs to do to get this defense in good shape. How that bears out from an execution standpoint is also on the players, right? And so we'll see, we'll see how this all works moving forward. 40 beers, not 40. Sorry, 40 beers, not four. I'm worried G, uh, JG is applying a similar philosophy to our linebacker group that GP did, playing a guy who he trusts and is older over someone that may be more talented. I'm not a scheme expert, but to me it seems Hodges and Hodge are the same style of player and get taken advantage of constantly in space. Would Sonny force JG to make a change for more athleticism in one of those spots, or is there something we just is this something we just have to hope gets better? I don't think Sonny's going to have to force Joe Gillespie to do anything. Um, <clears throat> one thing that we don't see a lot of publicly is how these coaches interact with each other behind closed doors, obviously. Duh. But w- what we can glean from how these coaches talk to one another in public or how we hear from them in media moments or just from you know talking to people around the program, there are extraordinarily clear expectations for Sonny Dyke's coaching staff. He is not a guy who's going to BS his coaches. He is not a guy that's going to um, <clears throat> mislead them or throw up smoke screens or whatever it is. He's going to tell them like it is. And part of the benefit of that, in my opinion, is that nobody has or nobody should have unclear expectations for what their role is on the staff. And it also means that Sonny's not the kind of guy who is going to come in after one week and say, you're not doing the job. Here are the changes that I think you have to make. And you're going to make them this week. That's just not how he operates. And, and I think he trusts his coordinators and assistant coaches enough to to do the things that they think are necessary to, to improve the program. So uh, that's kind of the philosophical part of that question. As far as the, the GP linebacker group part of this worked out more often than not, right? Let's not discount the number of talented linebackers that Gary Patterson cranked out over the, over the course of two decades for TCU football. A lot of guys that made the league, a lot of more that probably should have gotten league looks that didn't. And and it's not like Gary Patterson was was letting linebackers wither on the vine, uh, you know, while he was here. That's just simply wasn't what was happening. Um, did Hodges and Hodge get beaten space on Saturday? Yes. Did they get beaten space at the national championship and at times throughout the season last year? Yes. There are some deficiencies to 
this stack defense and there are some deficiencies when you again don't have a guy like d winners to cover up some of those holes all of this conversation is leading to me wanting just to just say this joe gillespie understands the talent that he has joe gillespie understands the deficiencies in his scheme and joe gillespie is going to do what he thinks is best to address those deficiencies and put his players in positions to succeed moving forward Life of a Frog asks, beyond what Sonny and the players have said in media interviews, what are you hearing in regard to locker room mindset? Is there any splintering or is it united? Do you get a sense that this team will be able to rally? I think that we all heard from players this week that were of the same mind. Johnny Hodges, um, Imani Bailey, Rick DeBrew, all were very, I mean, Josh Newton after the game, Chancellor Morris after the game. It was pretty clear that they were all on the same page with how they played on Saturday. Um, I don't think the coaches had to tell them too much. Johnny Hodges suggested that the the players didn't have to say too much to each other as far as uh, how Saturday went. Um, and based on the reports that I've heard, practice has been at a different a different energy level this week. We'll see how that bears out on Saturdays moving forward um but i don't think that there's any sense of a locker room being split at this point uh and loaf has another questions uh, i get the sense we rolled out a very vanilla game plan and got pantsed by underestimating our opponent is there any truth to that and if true why shouldn't stunny and staff catch more heat it's a good question i think Sonny said part of this in the post game where they underestimated colorado and they didn't come out ready to play they were flat um, I don't know if that led to a vanilla game plan, um, but I talked about adjustments, at least on the defensive side of the football, um, that they didn't make enough at halftime, and uh, I don't think they ran the football enough on offense either. So I think all of that kind of – I don't know that they've necessarily not caught the heat that they should be catching this week. Uh, I think that Sonny did a lot to take ownership of that right out of the gate following the game. Um, I think that they've done a lot of accountability stuff behind behind the scenes this week from a player and a coaching perspective. Um, and I think that I think that the coaching staff and, and Sonny have caught plenty of heat for losing this game to Colorado. I, I've, I mean, I've been reading the board all week. I've been reading Twitter all week. They've caught plenty of heat for losing to Colorado from TCU people. Um, and for some of the ancillary stuff that happened around the game, like not hanging out for the whole alma mater and that kind of stuff. So I don't know that too much heat after one loss feels unreasonable and irrational. Um, I think they've caught a, a good amount of heat this week based on the result that we saw on Saturday and how it came about. Um, Brother JD asks, is Jared Wiley the best player on the team and how high of a draft pick will he be? Whew. Jared Wiley had 24 total catches last year. He had six for 60-something yards and an excellent touchdown catch against Colorado. It's hard for me to name any single player as the best player on the team right now. Um, I would have to maybe give that to Josh Newton just for what he did last year. And I know he had a bad time covering Travis Hunter on Saturday, but I think I think right now if you had to give the title to one player, I'd probably give it to Josh over Jared. Jared's probably in the top three or four. Um, how high of a draft pick 
he will be this year depends on two things. It depends on his catching stats and how hard he blocks people. That's what people look for in their tight ends. Hey, can you block somebody? Can you can you catch pass? Can you run around? Can you be where your quarterback expects you to be? All of those things are really important. He's very, very good at the pass catching part. I think he's got some growing to do as far as blocking is concerned. And uh, the more he improves in that aspect of his game, that will that will be a direct indicator of how high he's going to get drafted. I think he's probably, if he has the season TCU fans hope he has, I think he'll be somewhere around a, a late second, early third round draft pick. Um, if he doesn't have that season, then we're probably talking about a middle to late round draft pick. It's all up to him. And how much he, he puts his head down and does some certain things. I think he's well on his way, though, to being, to being in that, that first boat. Texonomics. Is it possible that this team is actually still really good but caught sleepwalking against one of the most amped-up teams in college football? Yeah, I think that's, that's pretty clear at this point. Uh, Clint Foster. Does this team have more 2011 or 2016 vibes? This is going to make me think back in, in my brain, which is more and more difficult to do every year, Clint, the older I get. Um. 2016 was what year one of Kenny Hill and they struggled a little bit. Uh, they didn't have the best season. 17 was the, the one where they went 11 and three and beat and beat Stanford. I believe in, in the Alamo bowl 16. I think this team is better than that 16 team. Possibly. I mean, who knows? Um, we'll see how it shakes out on the field. 2011 that was that was the Casey Paul year right that was 11 and 2 lost to SMU and Baylor and won every other game I think I got I, I think I have more 2011 vibes from this team right now I think that there's talent on this team they got to figure it out and put it together a little bit or it could turn into a 2016 season pretty quickly um, but right now I'm, I'm gonna go with 2011 I think the ceiling is is still pretty high for this thing uh, but they got They obviously have to sort some things out in order to reach that ceiling. Yano Grande, Lano Grande. I don't know how to say your name. I'm very sorry. Does the defense have the appetite to rotate in some of the younger players on D? Kind of talked about that one already. I, I think that it all depends on how the first half of the Nichols game goes. Once you get into conference play and start playing SMU and stuff, that becomes more challenging to do just because you want to have your best guys on the field more frequently. Um. Any feedback on Savion? Any coach feedback on Savion? Uh, Sonny's been pretty clear on Savion Williams from the jump. He's got to be in the right spot more often. He's got to be more trustworthy to his quarterbacks. Um, we saw that a couple times on Saturday where he either didn't get the right signal or misinterpreted the signal uh, and just didn't end up in the right spot at the right time. And that's a really easy way for your quarterback to lose trust in you. He got six targets. He only had two catches for six yards. That's not a great first game from Savion. There's there's time to right the ship, but he's been around long enough to understand the expectations at this point. And, and I think Sonny was sending a message to some of the wide receivers in that room with his midweek comments when he called out Jack Besh and Dylan uh, Dalen Wright for, for being really impressive on Saturday, despite um, Dalen at least not getting here till halfway through fall camp. That you know you can you can hear what a coach says. And there are moments like that one on Tuesday where you can say he's also sending a message to some of the guys that he didn't name. Uh, and I think that's exactly what Sonny Dykes was doing on Tuesday. 
Uh, any chance we see some DJ Allen? I think he's, I mean, he's, he's a guy, he came off an injury last year. Uh, I think he's just down the depth chart for now. He has unbelievable talent. He showed that off in fall camp, but I just think there's some guys ahead of him right now. Is that still going to be the case in a couple weeks? Who knows? Again, I, I talked about the wide receivers room and how some things need to shake out there. Uh, we'll see them the further we get down the season. Anthony Martin, what were the players and plays and players that Hodges seemed to call out for lack of full effort? He mentioned social media clips. Are there highlights or lowlights that provide details? Uh, you just kind of search through the hashtag TCU, and you're going to find a lot of those plays, man. Um, I don't know that he was necessarily, and I talked, I, I tagged on to something that Stephen Johnson of the Fort Worth Star Telegram said earlier this week on Twitter. I, I didn't interpret Johnny Hodges' comments on Tuesday as calling out any one individual player. I think he saw and we saw a, a lot of evidence that pretty much everybody was at fault for that defensive performance on Saturday. Um, there were moments where uh, every single player that was on that field looked like they were a step slow or they were making the decision not to uh, get after a, a tackle. They were tackling with their arms, as, as Josh Newton said in postgame. Um, and uh, Hodges seemed really agitated by that on Tuesday, and I think in a good way. Um, uh, so we'll see, we'll see how things look on Saturday. Um, but yeah, you can find those clips pretty much all over, all over social media. Again, I don't think he was calling out any, any individual player, though. He was talking about the collective effort. Jared Becker, do you see... Jack Besh carving out a bigger role. I noticed when he was in the game on Saturday, he was open a lot. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about a guy who was the leading receiver for LSU in 2021. Uh, this is a kid who is that kind of tight end, inside receiver hybrid. He's, he's a really good route runner. And Sonny Dykes talked about it midweek, said the best thing about him this year is this fall was his availability. He was at every practice. He was working hard. Uh, and we saw the results of that a little bit in the third quarter on Saturday. Jack Besh is definitely one of those guys that I could see in the early weeks here getting more playing time and more reps simply because he's made himself available every single day in practice. Um, he hasn't gotten banged up. He's put his head down and gotten to work. And I think that those are the guys that we're going to see get the reps in game um, over some of the guys who maybe haven't always been as present in practice every day. Uh, Rake asks is there any hope for this gillespie 335 yes there is it was carried by some elite playmakers last season um the scheme will adjust i think to fit its personnel a little bit better in the coming weeks easy does it asks do we have elite players on defense to play lights out consistently we'll see i think we've got a couple i mentioned josh newton already i think namdi obiezor had a fine saturday is first at that star linebacker spot that, that was vacated by D winners. I think he's, he's going to be a guy that we could see a lot from. I think Rick DeBrew was very high energy on Saturday. He looked good in limited playing time. And Sonny said midweek, the guys that play with the most energy are going to, are going to start to play more. So I think there's an opportunity for some of these guys that maybe were in new roles coming into fall camp or reserve roles coming into fall camp for them to step up and, and earn some more playing time. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball and on the offensive side of the ball. AJ Tuna, do we have good recruits in the pipeline or going after specifically in the secondary or linebackers? This is where I meant to pull up all of the recruiting rankings from 247sports.com. Horned Frog Blitz. Shout out. A shameless plug. 
um, to talk about some of the guys that, that TCU is recruiting for some of these upcoming classes. Let's take a look at 2024 specifically um, because they've got Travis Jackson, who's a really good edge rusher, who I think will be uh, an important part of that class. Uh, they just got a commitment from a JUCO kid named Jair Smith, who is a top 10 juco recruit i think he's the number two safety recruit from the juco level he's a big addition to this class um you've got a a couple other guys as well that are athletes that we'll see kind of where they end up you've got sterling brooks along the defensive line in that 2024 class and they're still pursuing some pretty big names defensively i mentioned in the in the recap episode d allen evans who is currently committed to texas a&m he took a visit to tcu for that colorado game he's a guy that the coaching staff is obviously very high on and he's at least reciprocating some of that interest right now. So, I, you know, I, it's really easy after a game like TCU had defensively on Saturday to overreact and to overreach. Um, the coaching staff is not doing that, and I think that that's a really good sign. Um, they they aren't going to start changing up their recruiting patterns or their recruiting plans. They're not going to overhaul their scheme or fire coaches because of one bad game on one side of the football. Uh, and we should be thankful for that as fans. It's it's fans' job. It, it's the fans' job to overreact. It's the coach's job to sit down and understand how the problem occurred and how to fix it. Um, and and I think across the board we're seeing all of that this week. Um, and then Lokdi asks, why are they handing out free money with a little screenshot of a bet? And let's see here. Uh, Travis Hunter. I made it too big. Uh, Travis Hunter, plus 3,000 Heisman Trophy winner. TCU Big 12 Championship winner at plus 5,000. Washington Pac-12 Championship winner, plus 300. A parlay that gets you how much here? Let's see. Uh, a payout of $31,000 if you bet 5 bucks. Hey, man, that's a good $5 to just put on hold for a couple months, right? I don't see any problem with that at all. Um I think saying that Travis Hunter is going to win the Heisman is probably an overreaction based on Saturday. I think that saying Washington is going to win the Pac-12 is, uh, you know, you still got Utah and USC sitting there that are that are in pretty good shape to win that conference as well. TCU hasn't lost a conference game yet this year, so that's that's still on the vine as well. Um, heck, I'd throw five bucks at that. Why not? Get after it, my guy. Happy betting. Gamble up responsibly, please, or you're going to have to be in that Gambler's Anonymous thread sooner rather than later over at hornfrogblitz.com that is going to do it though for this episode of the frogs insider podcast thanks again to melissa for previewing nickels for us thanks to all of you for your questions uh go ahead and hit that subscribe button hit that like button like the video if you're watching on youtube leave us a comment underneath as well we will be back on monday morning recapping tcu's game against nickels the colonels I hope you get out to Amon G. Carter Stadium 7 p.m. on Saturday night. If you're not in town, you can watch the game on ESPN+. Until then, go shop at uh, Home Field Apparel. Go shop at Hell's Half Acre Sporting Goods. And we will see you next time here on the Frogs Insider Podcast presented by Dave Campbell's Texas Football and the Republic of Football Network. Go Frogs!